Today's episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our great sponsors, DMC Fins. DMC Fins are the best training fins in the business. Just have a look around in everybody's kit bag on pool deck, and there's a pair of DMC Fins in there. Swimmers, surfers, they're all using DMC Fins as their choice of aquatic propulsion. Even superstar Cody Simpson is using DMC Fins to help with his training towards Paris 2024. Head over to dmcfins.com.au right now for all the latest deals and discounts on fins as well as hand paddles and other training aids and use the promotion code OFF THE BLOCKS for a 10% discount at checkout. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two Joining me today on the show is an Australian Dolphins team member who last year made her debut in Tokyo for the 100-meter breaststroke. And who can forget her part in the amazing finish to the games in the women's 4 by 100 medley relay where the girls finished with gold. She's now getting uh, back in the pool, gearing up to secure her spot on the team once more for World Champs and the 2022 Birmingham Commonwealth Games. It's a massive welcome for the first time to Off The Block Swimming Podcast to Chelsea Hodges. Chelsea, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Not a trouble at all. That was a mouthful to get through. I sometimes <laughs> wonder, like, why do I write so much for an intro? Because it's just really – but it makes me focus more. I, I like it. And I think you guys deserve it with with the things that you guys achieve. Sometimes I think just saying, oh, Chelsea, how are you? I don't think it does you justice, mate, with the stuff that you guys have achieved. So I do it for you. I suffer for you guys. Um, yes, how, you. how are you going today anyway? Yeah, pretty good. Um, just a rest and recover day, getting – Big few weeks of training, few weekends of racing, so just getting a little bit of a rest in before kickstart the rest of our prep. Yeah, nice. Now we're talking before uh, we got on here about you know physio appointments and stuff like that. For the younger listeners, uh, you know, in today, how important are those appointments? I know they're just like oh, I've got to get through this appointment, <laughs> but in terms of being an elite athlete, having your body ready and raring to go when the time is right, how important are those appointments? I see them as important as uh, rocking up to training. Um, so I've been riddled with injuries from the moment I started swimming. I wouldn't have made the Olympic team if I didn't have the support staff that I do with my physios and my massage and all of those extra things. And I had hip surgery when I was 15. So if I didn't have physio, I would be really able to walk after that. So let alone swim breaststroke. So I think they're almost as important as just rocking up to the pool. 
Yeah, nice and good advice there for all the younger listeners out there to yeah, making sure you having your your body's ready to go because obviously they're the cars and you know your bodies are the vehicle yeah. for for the performance. So we've got to have that right now. I saw you racing recently at New South Wales State Open. I always find it interesting. I mean, I've never interviewed you, but I've had a thousand people mm-hmm. on the podcast, and everyone knows my voice, but not many people I think actually know my head. So a lot of people <laughs> walk past me and I go to say hello. Yeah. I think ah, just let them go. Just just <laughs> let them be in the moment because you. You guys have got a job to do too. You're not there just for me to fanboy over and say, oh, hey. So I just, I let it ride. But I did see you there, mate, and you were smashing it. Um, what was your preparation like, you know, for that leading up to trials, which has now been moved to May? Did the did the changing of dates and that stuff affect your program and planning? Um, well, my, I actually have a very funny story for my lead up to New South Wales uh, Open. I was stuck in the floods for about five days up north. So I was swimming in the lovely motel pool with a shot cord that we walked to Bunnings to get the town and run out of um, diesel. So we weren't out, weren't allowed to drive anywhere. So we were just walking everywhere, helping the locals out. And then, yeah, the our lovely manager at our motel that we were staying at, um, kind of, I kind of explained to him, I was like, is there any pool? And he was like, oh, we've got a pool, not much, you know, chlorine in it but you can use it so I did that for two days and then we managed to escape and get back to the Gold Coast before and that was only two days before we flew out so very interesting prep um Mm. but yeah the change of dates I think it came to a bit of a shock to all of us obviously because there was a change either just the world's being postponed and then it was oh no it's happening again then in a couple (laughs) of weeks um so I think like everyone it was a bit of a shock but my coach and I, we always saw extra times, extra time. We're not going to complain about having a few extra weeks to prepare because that's a few extra weeks we can work on a few things and get faster. Yeah. Well, certainly not if you've been stuck in the floods and you're swimming in a yes. in, in a hotel pool. I mean, yeah. I, I love that um, that story for the just the simple purpose of you know, there's so often people uh, you know don't perform or whatever, and they blame their preparation. Like, oh, I've had a shit preparation. This didn't go yeah. right. That didn't go right. Well. I mean, by the sounds of it, you know, if it could go wrong, it did go wrong for you <laughs> before you head down to Sydney. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you won't say it, but I, I think you performed pretty well at New South Wales State yeah. Open. So, uh, you know, excuses are there if you want them, but if you just want to crack on, you can too. Yeah, and it's also like my coach and I were like, you're given the cards you're drawn sometimes and uh, the cards you're dealt and it's kind of one of those things where, it just happens and sometimes you just got to smile through it. <laughs> so what cord did you use? Like, did you have your own sort of like bungee cord or something or what, what did you? I, I just walked to Bunnings <laughs> and asked, do you have any shot cord or anything that's waterproof? That's yeah. not just a rope that has a little bit of tether to it. And they got me an eight, a 10 meter shot cord and they tied that around my, my, my beautiful boyfriend <laughs> stood there and timed me for when I would needed to do efforts and, so I'd go and do, do about 45 minutes straight in the morning and about an hour in the afternoon and poor thing had to come out and tie me and tie me back up to the fence. And God bless yeah, you. See, this is all the stuff that goes into it. People don't see. Mm-hmm. They see your performance, but they don't see the support yeah. staff behind. Yeah. <laughs> they see the boyfriend. The people tying you to the, yes. tying you to yeah. the fence. Holding on to the, to the rope. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for all the young listeners out there and coaches like myself, I'm always a bit curious for you guys when you come to like a state open, um, you know, so close to trials, having that last sort of hit out. 
What are you looking for from a meet like this? Is it executing pre-existing race plans, testing out new race strategies? You know, are you here looking to go fast? I mean, we're never looking to go slow, so it's a stupid question, but you know what I sort of mean. Or, uh, you know, to see what you've got in the tank, just, okay, let's have a hit out and see where you're at. Or, you know, is there more to that weekend? Is it a training sort of weekend where every, you know, race is a main set? Um, so, sorry, um, the 100 is more, so we kind of have a different race strategy for the 100 and the 50, kind of going into New South Wales specifically, um, just because the 100 obviously is what we get selected on and the 100, you know, there's a little bit more room for error when things go wrong. Um, so for me, always is skills. So my we identified over COVID, over 2020, that my skills were quite far behind the world average and the other girls in Australia. So we really worked on them. So no matter what race I'm doing, no matter what level it is, no matter what type of prep I've had, skills is always the number one focus. Mm -hmm. Um, So leading into New South Wales, it was kind of more of that, okay, like setting up the race well. It's not a super high-pressure environment, but it's just getting back and getting used to racing because haven't raced properly since really the olympics with the bit of training behind me so it was good to just get that focus on the skills which was the main part and then the 50 is just my race plan is swim the fastest 50 you can so <laughs> that's pretty much just putting that in and just having fun with it because the 50 is always a bit fun yeah send it as my swimmers would yeah. say send it yeah but they try and say send it in the hundred and i say oh no yeah. oh no let's not send <laughs> you gotta that be able to come back <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's, let's think <laughs> about that one back. a bit a yeah. bit more but yeah the mm-hmm. 50 absolutely now i will get to your sort of tokyo experience in a little bit mate but i'm curious again i'm always curious after coming back from the games with the experience and a gold medal from a relay did you get much time off did you get much time to sort of chill to get back? Now I'm imagining sort of coming back after a com- uh, after an Olympics can go one one or two ways. One, you could have come back super hungry and just wanting to get back in to say no, let's set bigger goals and more goals and get right back into it. Or the the B side of it is that whole ride to the Olympics, given the COVID experience and all of that, is just so exhausting that, you know, you kind of needed a bit of time off and for lack of a better term, you had a bit of a hangover after the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me, we were always planning on having a few weeks off no matter what, how it went. Um, for me, as soon as I finished the Olympics in the first probably two days of quarantine, I was, like you said, I was hungry. I was calling my coach going, yeah, I've got all these new goals, running them <laughs> down. And the realisation that we were in quarantine for another 10 days kind of sunk <laughs> in and that, kind of like come down that people speak about after the Olympics really hit me in quarantine and when I got home. Um, so I had about two months not training. I'd still come into the pool every so often and go for a swim and get the body moving and doing some rehab stuff that I've always had to do just to be able to come back to swimming. Um, and then I kind of came back and I didn't realise how much I didn't mentally probably switch off enough. Like I took a break out of the water physically, but I didn't really let my mind completely not think about swimming, mm. which kind of hit me a little bit more in that December period where we were starting to get back into it and my mind was like, hang on, we, we haven't stopped since the Olympics. We need to, we need to chill. So, yeah, yeah it was good. I, I you know, spent a lot of time with my friends over that time and 
really kind of got back to the roots and the basics and around the people that support you and yeah definitely definitely hits you harder than you think in a different way everyone kind of speaks of like a roller coaster what comes up must come down and it kind of is that but it's like a roller coaster that turns and flips and then you add quarantine and COVID and all of those things so it's very different but it definitely has made me a better athlete because it kind of really shows you what you need to depend on and what you need to look forward to moving forward to stay in the sport for a long time yeah oh absolutely now you mentioned COVID there have you had COVID no I haven't I did wake up uh couple of days ago had a bit of a headache and I was like oh no my time's come took a COVID <laughs> test and it was negative so at the moment I'm, I'm pretty safe at the moment both partners got it families had it everyone that I know has almost had it but mm-hmm. my time will come I know that but I'm just hoping that it's not until end of the year when nothing's really happening <laughs> yeah I know it's just that timing of it all mm-hmm. and isn't it funny how just you know sore throat straight away oh it's a bit scra- oh no this is it yeah then you start getting a mm-hmm. bit of a temperature because now your brain's telling you that you you yeah. might have it so now you're starting to feel it and then you do a yeah. test and you're like oh no I'm not and then everything just mm-hmm. comes back down miraculously. Yeah. Temperatures and you forget there's other throat. sicknesses. Like you yeah. forget there's a common cold or like yeah. that you could be run down and you're just yeah. like, no, I've got COVID. That's the only thing, <laughs> yeah. that's the only illness in the world. That's all that makes sense anymore. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Uh, now, mate, I always like to take the guests back. You've listened to a few of the podcasts yourself. So you know that we always like to sort of go back, especially for the younger listeners, because I think uh, whilst the big accolades, uh, you know, of making Olympics and, and getting a gold medal is is enormous, and they are, but I think the story of how we get there is is one that the swimmers and the younger guys can resonate with a lot more. I said resonate for the listener. I had a listener, Chelsea, just so you know, pick me up on the fact that I used to say resignate. And they took the time oh, okay, to yeah. DM me and let me know that I was saying it wrong. So that person who's still listening, I said it right, resonate. <laughs> there you go. You've influenced my vocabulary. <laughs> um, how did swimming start for Chelsea Hodges and what's your earliest memories of being in the pool? Um, so same as most kids in Queensland, parents chucked me in to learn to swim at like five, six months old. We had a pool back then. You didn't have to have a pool fence. So they wanted to make sure I could float. So they did the normal things and then they couldn't get me out of the water. I was one of those kids that used to cry when yeah. swimming lessons were done. And then just they, parents used to swim when they were younger, but never, never to a state level. They just kind of joined their local swim club, had some fun with it. So they let me do the same thing. And then four-year-old, a three-year-old Chelsea at 2004 Olympic trials were on TV I toddled up to the TV and pointed. I was like, I'm going to be at the Olympics. And my parents were like, okay, cool. Okay, <laughs> three-year-old, go back, go to bed. And then, yeah, just never really stopped when we moved to central Queensland. Um, Dad got a job there and lived in a small town called Billawila for about three years. And the pool shuts for six months of the year. And I lasted two, I lasted two of those months. And then my mum made the big sacrifice to drive me an hour and a half three times a week to keep going to mini squad I think it was at the time and yeah I just was always one of those kids that never could never be out of the water and always needed to be in the water hated time off every time we go on a holiday had to be somewhere near the beach or with a pool couldn't wasn't any not a land animal as my parents like to say I'm not very coordinated so always water sports and then, yeah, when I was uh, eight years old, we moved back to back to the uh, southeast Queensland, and I 
started joining mini squad with my coach Sean, who is still my coach now. So yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a great story that one, and we we're going to get to that. There's, well, you know what, I was, I was excited to chat to you because there's many different ebbs and flows that we're going to get to. So you know, we'll <laughs> we'll 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 cover those sort of stories, and and certainly that you know the one of uh, the adversities <laughs> that you've been through as well. You mentioned um, you're a water based uh, athlete. Have you did you do any other sports growing up? Obviously, if it's in the water, did you do water polo or or you know maybe um, yeah, surf? So I tried gymnastics as a kid. Um, and didn't go very well, don't have the knee stability for those things. Um, but then we switched to diving. So I did diving for a while because it was like the fun bit of gymnastics and the flipping and, but then into the water. So that was always fun. Then at school, I did school volleyball. I did school touch. Um, my parents always made sure I did something else. Um, I always kind of lean more towards the sports side. Um, I did play drums for about five, six years. So played in, nice. I was in the band and things like that through primary school. And then mainly when I hit high school, I started to basically focus because I kind of was like, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. I could stick to this. And my parents were like, okay, you know, you've gone through all of primary school, started high school doing other sports. So I think we can give you just the one now. Yeah, nice. I love that drum one because I always think like someone who can play the drums or the guitar or just something a bit off, just off center is really good. Like in a party situation when you're like at a house party and then you like being an Olympic swimmer is great, but you can't like go out in the back pool and go, all right, this is what I've got to show you. Yeah. I mean, not that they've no. got a drum kit either. I don't know where <laughs> I'm going with this story, but you know what I mean? I think it's great to have those sort of different outlets and do, do you do you think about getting back into you have like a drum kit just at home just to have a bash around when you need to so mum's actually still got one at home mum started it with me when I was younger and then she kind of took some time out of it and then she started when I stopped again when I got to high school and um so we've still got it so there's the odd time where I'll go in and just see if I still remember <laughs> what I did when I was about 12 13 yeah um, but it is good in a party sense when I have people over, I always, I always bring out the drums and I'm like, look, yeah, still see, got it. That's still got exactly it. Yeah. right. Just adds another, do you have a go-to song that you can, you're confident in? You're like, no, I can get this one out. Tequila. Tequila is the one song because every school band knew how to play that. So I was down on that song. <laughs> Very nice. Mm. Very nice. Um, breaststroke. Was it always breaststroke for you growing up? Um, I, you know, I, as a coach have this theory that breaststrokers are just born. I mean, we can develop a, a good breaststroker, but in terms of being an Olympic athlete, if you're a breaststroker, you were born that way. You, it was, it, you were the one of, you know, the standout in your squad of everyone else was trying, but the breaststrokers were there for you. Was it the same? Yeah. So learn to swim. Mum always tells me this story and she always reminds my coach of this, that we were learning froggy kick as learn to swim call it and they said we're doing froggy kick and i've gone oh like this and just started doing it and the learn to swim teachers looked at mum was like i didn't teach her that don't know how she knows it and it was just i could always always i didn't like breaststroke for a few because i it was the natural thing and i kind of liked the challenge of trying to learn something else yeah wanted to be a backstroker for a part wanted to be a butterfly but my problem with backstroke is i'd like to see where i'm going so it's a bit hard when you're on your back and then butterfly just never really happened and breaststroke just took over and then I learned to there was still a challenge with breaststroke and I learned to use that yeah well 
like most breaststrokers, what was what's your freestyle like when you're younger, growing up? Because a lot of my breaststrokers that I've coached over the years have this, you know, little you know, breaststroke kick at the end of their freestyle. Mm-hmm. They're not quite keeping their legs straight. You got to chase <laughs> them lap after lap, especially on an, an aerobic set. Where, yes. and, and admittedly, it can get boring when you're doing that many laps. So I do understand. Oh yeah. Yeah, so uh, my my coach, Sean, he was always adamant that I could not do breaststroke kick. I had to learn how to still do freestyle. I had to still keep it up. I still have a, I'm an all right 53. I'm very much a sprinter, so I'm pretty sure I can sprint anything. Um, so I've always, that was his way of trying to get me to do freestyle. As, as an age group, I always had to do another event. So I always would do 53 or 100 free at age. I like at age nationals just so I keep him satisfied and also just keep up the other strokes just so I wasn't super specialised at 10 or 11 or whatever it was. Yeah. No, it's, it is a hard one because, yeah, we as coaches will always say, you know, all junior athletes coming through should be medley swimmers and they need to develop all sorts of strokes. But it is hard when you see a genuine breaststroker, you know, Okay, that's that's a, that's a breaststroker yeah. right there. This is it's going to be a hard sell because straight away, you're like, all right, we're going to do this, and the breaststroker is like, ah, oh, uh, I don't know about that. Just give me a board. I'll do breaststroke kick or yeah. whatever it might be. So you know, we always try to go down a little bit more of the medley route. Did you do that as well? Did you become more of a medley swimmer as a youngster? I they tried, but my backstroke is very appalling, and my coach will listen to this and make fun of me. Is but I always take it back as he taught me backstroke, so it's not it's not my fault. But I just I've just never been able to do it. I just can't get the coordination going. So I'd be fine, fly, then be about twenty five behind in a backstroke, and then catch up in the breaststroke of the freestyle. So we tried it for a little while, and then my coach did say to me, "I just can't watch your backstroke anymore. So let's just stick to the freestyle and the breaststroke for a while." Oh yeah, fair call. Fair call. Now, uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier, or you mentioned a little bit earlier, some of the struggles coming through, especially mm-hmm. as a teenager. Uh, for everybody, there's ebbs and flows, um, no doubt. There's highs and lows. And, you know, I think for me, that's always when I'm watching you guys on TV, when you're making a, a team and things like that, um, the excitement and, and that sort of uh, reaction is very organic and it's all based off the struggles that you've been through before that nobody else knows except for you <laughs> and the people around you. To give everyone, and we're going to get to the trials um, soon and we'll get to the games, but to give everyone an appreciation of that, talk to me about those struggles uh, as a teenager physically and sort of the work that you've had to go through to to keep yourself in the pool. Yeah, so I have a very interesting um background with adversity so I especially in the injury sense I think we worked out that I almost injured almost every joint in my body um I'm only 20 years old so that's I like to kind of go yeah that's pretty impressive it's also not um so basically I just as a kid didn't notice anything wrong could always swim could always you know run almost and then I kind of hit about 14 and then everything I did would hurt my back so I couldn't get through a swim session without my back hurting couldn't walk at school without my back hurting really couldn't do anything and I saw about five different physios in the space of 12 months everyone just said oh your back's tight your back's tight nothing like nothing out of the ordinary they're just like oh you know you're training too much so we took off training still hurt 
no one could kind of give me an answer. And then 2016 Olympic trials came along and I was, I think I was like 13, 14. Oh no, I think I was 15 at the time. And my coach wanted me to come along to experience an Olympic trials because obviously it was planning, you know, Tokyo. So we wanted to have that experience down pat and we got there and in the 200 breaststroke, I, I dived and I felt a snap in my hip and Ouch. could not move my left leg when I was swimming. My coach stopped timing at 15 metres because he saw something had happened. I finished the race, went super, super slow, came last and just got out and had to hobble over. And I was like, this is not right. This isn't my back. This is something I've never felt before. We saw a physio and they were like, oh, yeah, I think, you know, you might have just like torn your hip flexor. Like, it'll be fine in a few yeah. weeks. Had a few weeks off, came back, and it would feel anytime I would walk, swim, it felt like someone was basically, it's going to sound quite graphic, but basically screwing a nail into my, into my bones in my mm -hmm. hips constantly. Yeah. And it got to the point where I couldn't even walk. So mum had enough and she Googled the best hip sports doctor in the country. Mm -hmm. Mum was in Queensland. So we went to Brisbane. We saw him. And three days later, I was on the operating table getting my hip operated on. And I ended up having a bit of extra bone on my pelvis. So every time I would breaststroke kick, I the bone would basically hit the top of my femur, which is the top of your leg bone. Ouch. And my cartilage tore in half and then started to fray and I had cysts on my bone and I had to get about a centimetre of half bone taken out. My whole hip basically remodeled, um, which was pretty pretty daunting because three days before I didn't even know I was had a hip problem, let alone mm. needed surgery. So had that happen and then was rehabbed well. Um, the surgeon had said he's never done a surgery on someone so young. So the rehab was a bit hard because no one had rehabbed a 15-year-old with, they said it's only an 80-year-old's injury. So yeah. it was very hard to rehab me coming, getting back. And we got enough to where I could swim breaststroke again. So we kind of like, oh, yeah, that's fine. It's no problems. Then I started getting back problems again, shoulder problems. I did a knee at one point kind of did everything and worked out that basically all my muscles had switched off during the surgery and never been switched back on again. So I was kicking with one leg. We did some testing and I would jump and 95% of it would come from my right leg. And wow. so when you're swimming, it's quite important to be able to use both legs at the same mm -hmm. time, especially in breaststroke. And then I had enough of always being injured, never being able to do a prep without an issue. So I did the Googling this time and I Googled the best swimming physio and um, Victor Popov came up, who I still see. He's the one of the best physios that I think there is and he has basically, he, I am where I am due to my coach and him as well in the last couple of years, just getting my body ready. And, yeah, so definitely been through a lot of injuries. I think leading into Tokyo it was the first prep I've ever had where I never had it, like I didn't have an injury that required hospital or going to see the physio five times a week or something like that. So it was very new, but it was also a very good feeling because I could be confident leading into the trials.
Well, that, and I'm assuming from your perspective, you felt like you kind of cracked the code there of like, okay, well, this is, mm. this is what I need to do now. I, you know, for so long by the sounds of it, you're kind of um, problem solving and you're like, ah, oh, no, that didn't work. Yeah. Oh, no. And oh, now all of a sudden you, you <clears> seem <throat> like you cracked the code. Um, yeah. I, I'm interested when you're younger, <clears throat> pardon me, only because <clears throat> for myself, I, I would freak out going into like a major surgery like that. How daunting was that for you as a youngster going in? Because like, that's a, not just a minor surgery, was it? Yeah, so it took about three and a half hours. Um, they originally said it would be 45 minutes and they didn't realise how bad it was until they got in there. Um, my, poor, my poor parents thought it was a 45-minute surgery and three and a half later I've come out. Um, I imagine. I think because it was such a quick finding out what was wrong and then getting surgery, it didn't really give me a lot of time to process it so also being so young I was still at school so I was more worried about like oh I'm gonna miss this at school I'm gonna miss this yeah. but I didn't really think about the fact that I was gonna be in hospital and have the surgery and it wasn't really till I got home afterwards when I realized like oh I can't move my leg for a few days and I had to learn to walk again I had to learn how to walk and basically function a normal life and then learn to swim again. So that was also, that was really odd. And I think it was more the aftermath that I processed it more than beforehand because beforehand it was just, okay, we're going to Brisbane, you're getting surgery, you've got a few days off school and you can't swim for a few months. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was kind of this big whirlwind and then it wasn't until I was kind of bedridden for a few days and I was like, oh, like that was actually pretty intense. Like I didn't, didn't think about that. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's that. Well, it gave me anxiety just listening to. It. I thought, mm. oh god, I could. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not big <laughs> on sort of needles and doctors and surgeries and stuff yeah. like that. Um, that's why I avoid it all uh, at all costs, mm -hmm. which isn't good, by the way, listeners. I'm not advocating for that. That's my <laughs> own my own troubles that I'm trying to work through. Um, <laughs> the other thing I was going to mention to you, um, just based off of what you were saying there, was. I've lost my train of thought. I, I realized I was trying to catch it as I was going through it. I'll come back to it. It will come mm -hmm. to me. Um, yeah. I noticed though in 2017, mate, you're on the junior Australian team to go to yeah. Indiana, which is, yeah. I mean, if you people are doing their maths, that's like a year later. So mm -hmm. talk to me about the preparation for that. Was that always on the plan because you'd had the time off, you'd healing and mending. Was that kind of like, a, all right, let's just get back and see how we go. And then you progressed back a lot quicker than you thought. Yeah, so um, I actually made that team and I flew off to America the exact date that I had the surgery. So it was really, it was a really weird time and I well, it wasn't really on my radar. My coach says it was on his radar, but he just didn't tell me. Um, I was just so excited that I was swimming without pain. So I was just so keen to do swim sessions and I think that's why I improved so quickly. So I dropped two and a half seconds in that 12 months or something like something ridiculous. And I remember I was like, you know, I was just excited to be able to do things because for so long I couldn't kick for two years. So learning to breaststroke kick again was fun. Learning how to, you know, swim without pain and push off the wall. I couldn't push off the wall with both feet for about a year and a half there. So it was just more of learning how to swim again. And then I got faster and faster and it was just really exciting. And then when I, made the team it was like oh this is cool like I didn't even really know that like I knew junior teams were a thing but I didn't really know how 
well Swimming Australia does it in the fact that you feel like you're on, you're representing Australia. It's not just like, oh, you're a junior team. It's they make it at the importance. And that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, um, you know, I was pretty excited through that answer because I remembered what I was going to ask you before. So I started writing it down. <laughs> now, so what I was going to say was the, you mentioned a couple of times Googling, which scared me because my wife always Googles stuff here at home, mm -hmm. but it's not Googling doctors. She's just Googling <laughs> symptoms. So like if I've got a headache, yeah. all of a sudden I've got brain cancer or something because she's mm -hmm. Googled it. So I'm glad that you guys are Googling professionals to go <laughs> see it, not yes. Googling your own answers. Um, but the second part to that was how important is it for you guys to problem solve when you look back? So I'm and the the reason I'm asking these questions because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there at the moment with niggling injuries, with little things that, as you said, physios are saying, "Oh, look, don't worry about it; it'll be okay. Just you know, work through it. It's just growing pains, or it's just this, or it's just that." Um, and what what I admire about you know you and and your your parents and obviously your coach as well would have been supportive of this was you're constantly looking for the answers and and you know and mm -hmm. thank god you did because now look look where you're at and yeah. obviously uh you know a lot less pain and and uh and the success has come your way so how important is it to be you know as i said always looking for the answer yeah so i think i learned very early on that you know your body best and I'm now studying nursing, so I'm studying in a health profession. And even before that, I always had, and my family's always pushed that if you know something's wrong and you need to find someone to help you. And, you know, that's kind of what we always kind of thought was we're not taking that kind of shove away answer mm. as a real answer. We were just saying, okay, well, we'll find someone else. And yes, it took us, I think, like six times until we found the right person. But we, every time we would go, we would hear something and try something new. And it might, might have worked for a few weeks, but we just found it really important to find people that support what you know that your body is going through. And I'm so glad that we did that. And I'm also so glad that I've learned that now as an adult, it's so important to have as a life skill as knowing and being confident that you know your body the best and that you can be confident speaking up about it as well like my communication with my coach when it comes to any niggles or injuries is is paramount like I was saying I'm having a rest and recovery day I called him and said yeah not it's not a good day kind of feeling a bit run down he's like okay I trust you mm. let's take a day and you know you know your body best and he's like we'll take each day work from here so that's something that's definitely set us up really well. And I think set me up really well in the long term as well. So, yeah. Yeah, mate, absolutely. I love that answer. Now, obviously we talked about, you know, just before, um, you know, those um, junior worlds weren't on your radar, but they're on your coach's radar, obviously. <laughs> um, but obviously the, the, the Olympic games were at some stage on your radar. And I'm, I'm curious, obviously, because there's a lot of, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old swimmers out there now with obviously 2024 on their radar. Mm -hmm. So for, for them listening into this, how far away from trials, now obviously keeping in mind we thought trials were going to be in 2020, not 2021. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. how far away did we, did you guys plan uh, or have that on the radar to lead up to, you know, what was that sort of program and planning like? 
Um, so for me, it was a bit different because after I finished school, I finished school in 2018, um, I made... Uh, my first World University Games team in 2019 and it was the first time I'd swum under 108. I think I did five 107, five swims and it was that first time where I'd broken that barrier kind of of that age group to open level swimming and, you know, I, I, came, I came third in the 50 over there and came fourth in the 100. So it was kind of the first time that I'd been exposed to that environment, that senior environment, which is, is is quite different to that junior level and that was kind of where it lit that fire that yeah I want to do it and looking back on it I was thought I was serious at the time but I probably was a bit naive to what making Olympic Games was like and what needed to happen and then COVID happened and I obviously I, I kind of see it as a blessing for me that was that time that extra 12 months made me the swimmer that I am now and we basically I I had eight weeks completely out of the water four of them my coach was like I'm not going to talk to you you need four weeks to reset and think of how we're going to make the Olympics next year mm-hmm. and yeah then after that I'd go meet him at a park and we do boxing sessions when we were allowed like one visitor or something so we would do boxing sessions I'd swim in my backyard and we would basically be just trying new things and that was at the point where I sacrificed, I realised what I had to sacrifice and what I had to prioritise um, to take it seriously and not just be, yeah, I want to go to the Olympics, like you know, I'm going to be on the Olympics. It's not a want, it's going to, like it's going to happen. Mm. Um, and that really kind of set up that next 12 months leading into trials was it probably wasn't really until the 12 months beforehand during COVID that I really put my whole mind, body and soul into making the Olympic team. Yeah. And I mean, we'll, we'll get to, you know, um, yours and Sean's relationship and the partnership and the, and the, the long-term, you know, swimmer coach partnership <laughs> that you guys have had in a second. But I, I am interested in, when it comes to that plan, when it comes to I'm going to make an Olympic team, who do you believe needs to lead that swimmer or coach? I feel like it's a bit of a 50-50. So I feel like the initial like goal setting phase should be mainly the swimmer. Like the swimmer's the one, like we're the ones that we, we're going to be putting our mind into it. We're going to be putting our body through what it takes, but you can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. So I think that initial thought, or goal or whatever it is should be the swimmer and then it's the goal, then it's the coach and the swimmer's responsibility to both be held accountable for that. And I think that's something that's really important is having that open communication and having that trust in each other that both is putting in 110% to make sure that that goal is happening. And I don't think, I think that sometimes it's quite easy to play the blame game if, things aren't going the plan like going oh my coach didn't give me enough or my like I'm not happy with what was happening and I think it's really important to make sure that you're you're saying what you believe and obviously your coach is the best person for you to get to where you need to go so Mm. the more you talk to them about it the better it's going to be yeah no absolutely mate I love that answer and it sort of reminds me of that old saying you know you can lead the horse to water but you can't make it 
you know, drink. And obviously mm. in terms of that with you guys as athletes, you know, you've mm. got to be the one wanting to go drink. If the coach is just pulling you along, come on, come on, yeah. we'll get there. Then it, yeah. it's probably not going to work. You'll still probably get to the trials, but the result's probably not going to be, you know, the yeah. one that you're after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I now, definitely agree. What about favorite sets, mate? Let's get a little bit uh, specific yeah. for a moment because a mm -hmm. lot of coaches do listen to this and, you know, they've seen your success in the pool. So, you know, they're going to be sitting down with a notepad and pen and they're going to try yeah. and write down, and <laughs> get some <laughs> trade secrets. Do you have any favorite sets uh, that you and Sean do that, you know, when you've, when you execute that maybe when you're underdone, they're not, you know, you're not feeling as good, but back towards yeah. the back end of the season, you're like, when you're nailing it, you know, all right, I'm on. Yeah, so we have this one set where I hate it so much that it, like, I have to love it because it's Sean's favorite thing. And I know I have it next week as well. So I know that he's probably going to listen to this and be like, see, you said you loved it. It's 650s, um, two dive, four push on five, four, three, two, one cycle. Mm -hmm. It's a mini version of the Anaconda set that some people know is which is 850s or 1050s descend. Um, we do six and we have two of them as dive and I've never felt pain like that in my life. I've never been so close to, I have thrown up after sets like that. I've gotten out of the pool, but they're the sets. That is the reason why they're the sets that I made the Olympic team off. They're the sets that really kind of tested my ability and, by number four, you're cooked and you're done, but you've got two more and you have to kind of find, we call it the dark place and you have to go into that dark place and see what you've got and see what you're made of. And every, most of the time, uh, I think like 75% of the time, I, I surprise myself and there's a lot of times where I don't and it's really just not my day, but it's the type of sets where you can finish it and go, yeah, I've, I've completed that, I've finished mm. that. Yeah, And I do whole... love a good any dive 25s, any, any you know, fast twitch speed, up my alley i'm very happy when we, when we do sets like that yeah um what, what do you like on training camps when you get around uh the aussie team and then all the breaststrokers are up and about and they're going dive 25s or whatever it might be do you enjoy that do you get competitive i mean in a nice way everyone's friends i understand that but still challenging yourself against you know the best swimmers in australia is is always a good thing and fun do you enjoy that yeah i really i, I love any time that I get to race. I someone that Sean has to write programs because if we're meant to have like a recovery day, it can't be anything race specific or anything where I'm up against someone else because he knows I won't go easy. I will yeah, go everything recover. until yeah, I'm gonna win. I'm gonna make sure I'm there. And so it's really nice to get into that environment where you have a group of people that are the same mindset mm -hmm. where it's not it's not a toxic environment. It's not something where you have people, you know everyone's there to get better and everyone loves a little bit of competition. So it's really good to get up and race everyone else. And, you know, I also love sometimes getting up next to the boys and seeing, you know, how close we can get to them and things like that. And for me, it's a bit, I'm the, I'm one of the only, um, only female breaststrokers at the moment doing just the hundred meter. A lot of them do both the hundred and the 200. So it's also a good chance for when we're doing those like back end type sets that I have people that are great at back end. There are those two hundred background where I have to push myself because you know they could keep going for hours and I'm you know trying to keep up with them, which is really good. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It's funny you say that about that sort of competitiveness. And I, I do think sometimes it's inherently Aussie of us to be like that. And I was talking to Stephen Teague, Duncan Scott's coach, um, the other night, and he was saying that when the Aussies went over for the ISL and he was the head coach of London Raw, that they were in there doing like a warm-up, nice, easy hundred. I don't know if it was warm-up, but anyway, they were doing hundreds on just pretty much nice and easy recovery. And he was saying that Kyle was still coming in on like 101, 102, and Duncan was on like 120 looking at him like, what are you doing? Kyle's like, I like to go fast. What do you want from me? Like, yeah. I can't help it. I can't, yeah. I like to go that slow. So I do think it's a, it's an Aussie thing. Just like to, you know, it's a competitive nature in us. Um, yeah. Sessions wise, do you have a favorite session? Are you, do you like your kick sets? Do you like, I know we've talked about speed, so maybe let's take speed out of it and we'll, we'll get a little mm -hmm. bit different. Do you have a favorite yeah, session? I love like functional power type sets. So for us, it's a Tuesday morning. Uh, we do like a lifting normal gym session beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, and then we go into the pool and use like the power racks, the bungee cords. We use like the scuba diver weight belts and put them around our waist and things like that where you can be really, really specific and really analyze what you're doing and you know there's going to be a benefit. That's what I really like. And I love those sessions where we're, you know, pushing off and doing weird things and trying, you know, different types of kick and pull at different weights and, you know, getting a little bit of getting that power going and getting that kind of specific um, training involved, which I really like. Yeah, nice. I like that. It does sound like, it, you know, it's going to stimulate the brain to just something a little bit different and yeah I, yeah. I, I like that i can see why you would because yeah um as a swimmer it can get quite monotonous and boring just going yes. up and down the pool <laughs> so to add some more yeah. toys in there is absolutely uh, a yeah. good thing take me back to trials last year june um first in the 100 breaststroke 105.99 in the finals if i'm not mistaken um you know which is a cracking time this must have been a dream come true for you your coach everyone that's helped support you along the way and i tell this now because obviously we've just discussed all the things that you've been through to get yeah. to this point take me back to that moment um it is something that i think i'll always remember that feeling so i i think i was never i've never been confident person when I race like I'm not someone that doubts myself but I'm not normally someone that goes into a race and goes you know I'm like I'm ready really 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 ready I'm just you know whatever happens happens I'm ready to just swim the fastest I can and that day was a little bit different and I remember my wonderful boyfriend I was getting a bit nervous before I had a nap and I just said to him I'm getting a bit nervous and he was watching how to make kebabs like how they make the kebabs at the kebab shop video or something it was just random thing on facebook and i was like oh he's like watch this you'll, you'll forget about it you think about food and i remember i watched that and then i was like yeah like i'm fine had a nap went and swam and one of my best friends uh was there at the time as well and she was already crying before i went to marshalling she was also already very very emotional and i, I knew i had that support around me and i knew that i was going to swim fast so when I turned around and I saw the number one and then I saw 105, I was, yeah, I, w I was speechless for a while and most people know that it's a very rare thing for me to be <laughs> speechless after something good's really happened. But I remember just like staring at it and Delhi, the wonderful photographer, he'd taken so many photos and I'm just at the wall like, oh, my God, <laughs> like mouth wide open. Like I didn't say anything and people coming up and I was like, 
like I've done it I've done it like it was just such a weird euphoric feeling because you kind of step out it's like an out-of-body experience in a way because you're kind of just taking it all in but everyone's going like 100 miles an hour around you and you're kind of just sitting there but still going wow like everything's happened and yeah that night my coach was very excited we have this tradition in the club that we all go back to um, everyone in the club every family member comes back to the hotel room and we watch the replay of the race and we all do a cheers and we all do a congratulations so we were all there and we watched it and it was just a crazy feeling going like you know I've really done it and Mm. wasn't until we went back and didn't get much sleep that night I went back and I remember just sitting on the couch and I turned to like boyfriend I was like I'm going to the Olympics in a few weeks. Like I'm, I'm going. Like I did it, and he's yeah. like, "Yeah, like you know, you you finally done it." And I was like, "I know, but like I've done it." Like I just for, for hours, this poor thing, I would wake him up and be like, "I'm going to the Olympics. Like this is happening." <laughs> and I think that was that was the most exciting thing was everyone around me had the same level of excitement. Mm. So it was kind of really nice to experience that with everyone because everyone was on that same feeling, and I felt that support from everyone that I had been for the last five, 10 years or however long it was. So, yeah, it was really special. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can imagine, um, and as we said, you know, just telling that backstory, um, that all ties in, you know, maybe not straight away, but as it starts to sink in, (laughs) as you said, you can sit there and you've probably had, you know, quiet thoughts to yourself like, shit, I actually Mm. went through all of that and I still did it. Now, that's the end result of it, which is Mm -hmm. phenomenal. Talk to me about before you dive in for that final. Now, as a coach, we always talk about the process, right? You know, you've got to execute your process. It's not about the outcome. Don't get behind the blocks and think of 105.99, Chelsea. You've got to think about the process of getting the 105.99, which is easy for us to say. It's hard for you to execute. Uh, what was that process like for you, though? Because this is a big moment, as you said, everyone around you is kind of saying, well, you know, no one's guaranteeing you a ticket, but you're within, you're, you've got a shot of this. It's not within, you know, it's yeah. not out of your reach. You do your best. And let's be honest, you're probably, you're going to get this ticket. You've still got to go execute it. So behind the blocks, what's your mindset? Um, so I'm definitely an athlete who doesn't like thinking about what I'm doing until the very last second because I am someone who is very analytical and I sometimes do overthink and that's when the doubt. I know myself that's when doubts come sometimes creep in. So for me, I made sure that I uh, went behind them, went into marshalling, and I'm pretty sure I remember Kaylee broke the world record, I think, two events before me as I was walking to marshalling. And I saw her and I was like, if Kaylee can break a world record, I think I can swim 100 metres. Like, I'm pretty (laughs) sure I'm good. And I remember telling that to her at the Olympics and just it kind of settled those nerves because I was like, oh, I like, you know, I could just got us from two laps. Kaylee just did it. Like, you know, everyone's doing the same thing and kind of takes that pressure away that it's just you, like it's all you that has to swim. So I don't think about my race. I talked to most of the girls in marshalling, had a chat. It wasn't until I walked out and it was, I walked behind the blocks and I saw my name lane four, taking my jacket off, getting ready. I do the same sequence behind the blocks, have for the last probably four years do the same amount of arm swings, same amount of breaths, everything. And once I did my final breath, I look at the wall and I always tell myself what race I'm swimming. I only swim 100 breaststroke, <laughs> but I always tell myself 100 breaststroke in two laps. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it's just two laps as fast as I can. And 
yeah, it was uh, very different to normal. I'm normally, I let myself get a little bit pumped up, but I was like, no, like I'm fine. It's just two laps. And I was a little bit more reserved than normal, but I think it was a good thing because the added, once I got in that water, you realize you're like, this is, this is it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, very nice. And obviously, we know what happens there. You punch your ticket, away you go. I had questions about camps and all that sort of stuff, but, mate, we're not sitting here talking for two hours, so I want to get a little <laughs> bit more specific. Talk to me about when you head over there. I mean, it's COVID times, there's protocols, there's systems, there's tests, but this is your first game. So did you take all that in your stride when you got to Japan or because it's your first time, was it a bit overwhelming? Like, God damn, what, how many more things have I got to get shoved up my nose here? Yeah, so I think kind of going into it, it was more of a, like, I saw it as a, I've never been to an Olympics before, so I don't know what it was meant to be like. I don't know anything different than what I'm about to experience. So we kind of just went in and, you know, we kind of just made fun of the situation. I, 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 there was times where it was stressful, but having that kind of, oh, we just got to take what, what comes kind of mindset made it very made it a lot more easier than if it was kind of seeing it as it was pretty stressful walking around the first couple of days and because obviously coming from Queensland we hadn't really had a COVID scare up to that point we'd had the odd snap lockdown over a few cases so we hadn't had that like real risk of going out to the shops and possibly getting COVID so we were walking around going where's COVID I remember walking around Kaylee and I had our hands like we'd, we'd cross our hands together and be like, we're not touching anything. We're not touching anything. We'll walk together. <laughs> so after that kind of initial realisation that, no, we're fine with following everything that's safe. Mm. So after that, it was, we just took the fun out of the situation. Yeah. Well, look, to put it into perspective, as crazy as that story sounds, but you guys walk around looking for COVID like it's a burglar <laughs> yeah. or something that's following you. Mm-hmm. Um, but to put it in perspective, you, you, know, you guys have to race. You had to compete. So a positive test would see you not be able to do that. So I can completely understand. In hindsight yeah. now, it sounds funny. As I said, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're talking about COVID like it's a person that's going to chase mm-hmm. you and get you. But, you know, I can imagine being there, you know, this is your shot. You don't want it to be ruined. Um, absolutely yeah. not. Talk uh, to me about your individual breaststroke first. Uh, you went 106.7 in the heats, got through to the semis, 106.6 in the semis, missed the final by point, I don't want to remind you, but 0.02, <laughs> which is yeah. super close. Upon reflection, you look back. What lessons did you take away from this experience? Because it's not a bad swim by any means. If you're looking around at everybody's swims, if you go half a second off your best or whatever it might be, keeping in mind the 105.9 that you did at trials, that was a that big PB, right? So, I mean, to yeah. think four weeks later you meant to just go again and do another big PB, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, I mean, that's what you're there for. I understand that. And that's the goal and everything in mind. But in hindsight, we can understand, actually, it wasn't that bad of a swim. But yeah. did you take lessons away from that? This is your first games. Is there anything that, you know, in, in two more years' time in 2024, having had that experience, you're like, actually, I've been here before now. I, I know what I need to get right this time. Yeah, I think for me, I kind of, we went in and everyone kind of tells you that, you know, don't let yourself get too excited, you know, like don't get too overwhelmed. So I think I kind of, suppress that a little bit too much that I didn't let the natural environment of an Olympics that is so 
exciting and things like that. I kind of pushed that down a little bit and I think that's just kind of what snuck in was I wasn't feeling my best um, mm. on those days and I didn't let that environment kind of pick me up that I think it probably should have if I, you know, let that kind of happen and I kind of was like, okay, I can't think about it as Olympics, it's just a race. But I think if I, you know, let going into Paris, I need to think of it as an Olympics. You know, the Olympics is a natural mood booster. It's, yeah. you know, it has that exciting atmosphere and using that more to my benefit instead of, letting it into me a little bit by like suppressing it a little bit mm. yeah. yeah nice did you bump into any sportsmen or sportswomen over there and, and that you're a bit starstruck by did you look over i so wish i saw simone biles i was looking out for her everywhere we went um it was pretty cool to obviously see like all the swimmers mm. um that you know i'd been on some like on world uni some of them were there but it was exciting seeing you know, Caleb Dressel, how, like how big of a human he is and things like that. It's just, you know, being around that was pretty exciting. But due to COVID, I didn't see many athletes just because we were just so rigid and that was kind of the, what we did, we tried to like look at and see as many people as we could that last day just because that was the only time where we knew we could be a little bit more free. Mm. Um, but, yeah, for Paris, that's something definitely I want to meet as many people as I can. But, yeah, Simone Biles, we were really trying to find her, but we couldn't find her. Yeah, it would have been a hard one to get a hold of her at that Games too, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm imagining with all the with yes. all the hullabaloo going on around her and, mm-hmm. you know, pulling out of events and, and everything that, that yeah. she was going through, I'm sure she probably was very yeah, low-key. The first couple of days and when that starts starting to come out, we were like, oh, okay, we totally understand. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like that poor girl, but we we know why she's not walking around. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, yeah, I think to your point, normally in, in games history, the swimmers um, have a, you know, a decent um, games of it, don't they? Because they compete all in week one. Then I'm not saying they get to party, but they get to enjoy themselves in week two <laughs> and get to go to different events and uh, and enjoy all the other sports, which you guys didn't really get the opportunity to. So 2024, absolutely. Let's get to the big finale. Um, and it actually absolutely was. It was it was the last uh, gold medal, the four-by-one medley relay. Kayla McHugh and yourself, Emma McKee and Kate Campbell, you guys won gold. Kate narrowly touches out the USA. Uh, it's an Olympic record. It's an Australian record. Your own performance, and I'm going to just put this on record, your performance is one that I think gets glossed over far too often. I said it. I don't know if you heard on one of our on one of our reviews or whatever, because I know you listened to a couple of the Olympic reviews that Bobby Hurley and I did, but I'm pretty sure I mentioned it on there as well. 105.57, phenomenal effort from you. And and I think what proves it was it was the second fastest split of any of the girls. The only one who beat you was Lydia Jacoby, who was the Olympic champion. Let's put that in perspective. She, she had the gold medal uh, and she was only like 0.5, I think, or something like just... <clears throat> I mean, it, it was a super race for yourself as much as the team environment, but I, I want to make sure I preference that because everyone thinks about Kate's finish and everyone knows what Emma did and everyone knows what Kaylee did during the week. But I think the pressure you must have felt, whether you felt it or not, I don't know, <clears throat> but to, to perform and perform you did. Give me your memory of, of that sort of experience. Um, so I didn't really think about being like 
how much pressure there would have been until after the fact Mm -hmm. that like walking out with, you know, Kaylee, who's just won two individual gold medals and Bettle did realise you've got Emma, who's now the most successful Olympian, and you've got Kate Campbell, who's everyone knows as Kate Campbell. And it wasn't until I watched the race back and I heard them announce it and it was, you know, they announced Kaylee as who she was and then it was, and Chelsea Hodges. And I was kind of like, yep, okay, I now (laughs) get it. (laughs) But it wasn't until, like, it wasn't until then that I really realised it because I'd roomed with Kate in cams before mm. we left and, you know, Emma's, Emma and Kaylee are such lovely people and Kaylee and I have known each other for many years and they were just part, I was just part of the team and I didn't feel like I had big shoes to fill or anything. Like everyone had the same job and we all had that same mindset going into it that, you know, no one was more important than anyone else. We were all four people and all four of us had to put what we had into that race. So I didn't feel that pressure. It wasn't until the after it was kind of a little bit of an imposter syndrome. I was like, oh, luckily I did really well. Like <laughs> it would have been quite funny, but, you know, and it, it, it was, that was probably what was more important was that I was, you know, the underdog that no one really knew who I was going into it. And then actually, you know, showing the world and showing everyone else like what I did have and, kind of settled a few scores that I didn't really feel like I I got in the individual so it was really nice really satisfying for myself and to show everyone that yeah this is the work I've put in this is where I should be mm. that point to prove is that something you look back in hindsight or was that in the forefront of your mind when you walked out I'm not saying it's the main thing I'm not saying mm-hmm. you walked out there like all right let's yeah. let's settle some scores but was it something that you were conscious of when you when you walked out yeah, so after I missed out on the final, um, I was quite upset, as most people would be. And, you know, my coach, I called him and I said, you know, I need, like, I've, I've got a point to prove and I have that. I need to show everyone that I deserve to be here. And I, 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 I'm owning that spot. I'm owning that final spot in that relay. And I took a day, took that night off the pool. I didn't go in. Um, and then I basically came in as a new athlete, I remember Simon Huzak came up and asked me if I was okay and, you know, how did I find going into them really? And I was like, I'm ready. I just, I knew that I had that, I had that inner hunger to do better. And I think it was on the forefront of my mind walking out, but not in a pressure sense. It was just like, I know I own this spot. I, like I own this part of the race and I'm going to put everything in it and show everyone that, and show myself that, you know, I did have it and, you know, I can produce those times. Yeah, well, absolutely, mate. You did it. You smashed it. And as I said, it's not for you to say because you know you're you're a very humble person. But I, I, for one, it did that did not go unrecognized. And I think if you don't perform the way you did, if you don't own your position, I mean, everyone played their part. So I'm not saying one was bigger than the other, but I, I do think your position was one that got underplayed. And if you didn't perform the way you did, that result certainly wouldn't have been the way it was. So congratulations on that. Um, you know, I didn't Thank get you. the chance to tell you, obviously you would have heard me as I said through the <laughs> review, but, um, but you know, personally, uh, congratulations. Now, did the girls give you any you know, feedback or not feedback, but any sort of um, advice before or after, Um, you know, obviously there's a wealth of talent and experience there um, as we talked about. Um, Not really. We kind of all went to marshalling and didn't speak about the race. It wasn't, it was the most relaxed environment I'd been in, in that Olympics. And 
you know, we were talking about what we were going to have for dinner because we were finished and we were just talking about how excited we were that it's the last day and we were just so excited. We were like, you know, we're done. We get pizza. We'll go have more dumplings, and we oh, just kept talking about what we were well doing. Done. Oh, they were great dumplings. <laughs> when we were over there, and that was just the kind of chat that we were having. We were having that talk. So you kind of and having them be so relaxed, I think, taught me more than if they were to give me advice. I mm. think because it showed mm. firsthand that you can be the best Olympian we've ever had and still be able to have those relaxed environments where you're not you know, in your head or talking about those things. Yeah, they were a calming influence without mm. sort of having to try to be, they just were. Yeah, is- and it was just the way that our team environment was and why we all performed so well, I think, was because we were like that. It was just such a relaxing environment to be in. Yeah, nice. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the team environment. I'm going to do a bit of a throwback segment here. I haven't done this for many, many mm-hmm. years on the podcast. Um mm-hmm. But I used to do a segment to get to know the Aussie team a little bit better um, and obviously through the eyes of people who are in the team. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a sentence and then I just want you to finish it with who you think best suits that statement. So my first one is the funniest person on the team is? Molly O'Callaghan, hands down. She was funny. She was telling me a story on the podcast about how she was sneaking out to get ice cream or something. I can't remember from one of the training I was part of, <laughs> was part of that. <laughs> and that cracked me up. I thought, how good is that? Um, the best roommate on the team. Have you? I'm assuming, I'm hoping you've had a few different roommates. So who's your best roommate that you've had? Tate Campbell, definitely. Tate, with her experience. She definitely, she knows her routine and she's just such a good roommate because she's roomed with so many people. She just, it's so seamless. Mm. Now, is it intimidating rooming with Kate though in terms of like, do you have to think like, oh, this would annoy, oh, I do this and this would be annoying. So you have to, what? like for me, I'm horrible to to room with in any because I need the air conditioning on, I need the TV mm-hmm. on. No, it's not because I'm scared of the dark. I don't know why, I just yeah. need the TV on. Did you mm-hmm. have little things that you're conscious of that you're like, Oh, but this is Kate Campbell. I probably can't. I don't want to do this. Yeah. It was like the first, probably the first couple of days because I think we had like two and a half weeks together or something. So first couple of days I was kind of like, oh, Kate, like just let me know. Like anything, just, you know, know, if I'm messy, like let me know. Like and then she was just so chill and so good about it that I was just like it kind of those worries kind of alleviated because the first couple of days. Yeah, very nice. Now, obviously, let's take Kate out of it because I'm, I'm assuming mm-hmm. she is a big leader for you guys. Why, who are the leaders or leader that you look to on the team? Um, I wouldn't say there's any really specific people. I think really all of those older ones, like uh, Leah Neal, I roomed with for a little bit. She was great. She had great advice. And then, you know, the natural people that lead through their performance, like Kyle and Emma, and, you know, Kaylee as well. Kaylee is someone that you can always, you know, look up to with everything that she's done and things like this. Yes, she's only young, but she's also a great person to look for. I wouldn't say there's one specific, but there are probably a few that I definitely. Mm. Now, I know you guys didn't get to enjoy, um, you know, going out as much. I think you had a, a bit of a fun night before you got to leave, but I don't know how much dancing or singing was going on there. Who Who is the best or, you know, singers or dancers on the team? Is there is there any, like, hidden gems in there or is there anywhere thinks Tommy they're Neal. a good singer? Tommy Neal is the best on the dance floor. He's the best yeah. in any situation. Like that. He's great. 
Tommy Neal always life of the party. Can cut a rug, Kenny. I'll have to. I'll have to ask him about that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I'm always jealous of guys who can dance because I've got two left feet. I can't dance. I'm a really good seat dancer. You know those yeah. people who've got good moves in the seat, but then you get me up and I, I just look horrendous. So I'm always yeah. jealous of guys who've got moves. Mm-hmm. So I'll have yeah, to. Yeah, Matt Horton also. He taught us the in quarantine. He taught us the Love Actually dance that he did on his Instagram for a squad thing <laughs> a few years back. He taught us that. Next, another one that. Doesn't look like someone that can can bust can a move, bust but yeah, move, but he's lanky in this stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to finish with this one. The coach you learnt the most from on the team, other you know, obviously outside of your own coach. Um, probably, probably Simon Cusack. I didn't talk to him too much in the scheme of things, but just the few chats that I had, he was a very grounded person and he grounds you straight away, like in a, in a really good way. Like he brings you back to, you know, why you're swimming and, you know, he asked me always like, you know, how are you? And, you know, when I was watching the final for the 100 breaststroke, he sat next to me actually, and, you know, asked how I was feeling and looking forward and like looking forward to the next one. And, you know, that was that was really good. It was very few things spoken, but I learned a lot from just the way that he did watching him interact with Kate and Bronte and things like that was a lot to learn from. Yeah, nice. Now let's get to your your own coach. Uh, we've mentioned Sean Eels a few times and, and you know, the long time that you guys have worked together. You guys train at Southport. What makes the partnership works so well, do you think? Now, this is a long time working together, so clearly you've annoyed each other at times and you just, you've just you just come mm-hmm. to realise that, okay, that's that's him and he's realised, oh, that's Chelsea. So, you know, mm-hmm. you enjoy working together still. There's still that, um, you know, that partnership of looking to break down barriers and keep working together. What makes it work so well, do you think? Um, our communication is our number one thing. So... There's not an issue that I've ever had that I feel like I can't talk to him about. Um, and we've always had that communication that, you know, that ease of, you know, me being able to speak about, you know, and we're also very collaborative. Um, before every prep, we'll sit down for about two, three hours and just talk about ideas. And he doesn't have that aspect of, you know, I'm the coach, I'll tell you everything that you should do. Yes, he writes the programs and he very much takes the forward role in that, but he always asks for my feedback because we've always had that understanding that if something's not working, it's okay to speak about it and we talk about it because that's how we get better is if we were just doing something that wasn't working or, you know, I didn't wasn't getting faster or things like that, we just kept doing it, there would be no, there would be no end result. So especially the end result that we'd want. So that's what we've really always worked towards is that open communication, just collaborating really well, like on a partnership level instead of a, you know, superior, inferior kind of approach to it. Yeah. Would you say that's his greatest quality? My next question was, you know, what do you think his best qualities as a coach and as a mentor are? Um, Definitely his ability to like understand athletes as people. So this is not just something like with me. I've had lots of people that have swum previously that were under under Sean as well as he really takes his time to understand you as a person, what works for you, what doesn't work for you, your likes, your dislikes, your, your hobbies, your, you know, just general life 
events that are happening so he knows because he, he's always said that you know there's outside of things in life that happen that affect sport and they affect you and he said the more I learn about that the better coach I can be and I definitely think he doesn't he doesn't allow himself to take compliments when I give him compliments like that sometimes so I that's something that I've always I always like to say and praise him about is he's very good at understanding everyone and not just seeing them as a swimmer that mm. sees him in the pool and he's not someone that you know once you leave the pool that's it there's no relationship or communication like my, my my best friend she used to swim she stopped swimming three years ago and she turned 21 on the weekend and he was one of the first people that called her to wish her happy birthday so it's things like that where you know he takes that that personal touch to it yeah no well absolutely and congratulations to him as well as a coach for having an athlete on an olympic team it's a it's a massive um you know accomplishment and especially as well for him you know he's been through the ups and the downs with you as well no yes. doubt and um <laughs> and it's a harder position for him to be in at times i'm sure because he has no control over it you at least can sort of control your destiny a little bit more yeah. he's just sort of <laughs> sitting back going i hope we're getting this right so uh mm -hmm. congratulations to him now i like to finish as you know with a little bit less serious questions a mm -hmm. bit of rapid fire just to get to know uh, what chelsea hodges is like away from the pool so first one is what's your favorite music to listen to i love any type of pop music that you can sing really loudly in the car that's my favorite all-time music like pop music that you can just belt out yeah oh you get along with my daughter she's three and every time we get in the car she's like put the radio on and I like to listen yeah. to podcasts, which just she hates mm -hmm. it. So she's a radio, radio, turn it up, turn it up. And next minute, then you look back and she's just singing all sorts of Ed Sheeran yeah. or Sean Mendes mm -hmm. or whatever's on. She loves it. So, yeah, yeah. she would uh, love to be in a car with her. <laughs> what about your favourite movies? I love a good soppy rom-com. And I also do love a little bit of action movies, depending on the mood. I do yeah. love the good Marvel movies, but... Yeah, soppy rom-com always can go for one of them. <laughs> Very nice. Now, obviously, um, I've seen a couple of times just in our chat that you have the Olympic rings. Do you have any other tattoos? Yeah, so I got my uh, Australian swimming swim team number, 815, on my ankle. So I got that and my rings at the same time. I didn't tell my parents about the, the number. I just kind of came home. They knew I was getting the rings, and I came home, and I was like, yeah, so I've got two. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not a bad one to have, guys. is it? Because, it's yeah, it's not <laughs> no. a massive thing, and, you know, once no. they kind of see it, they're like, oh, that, that's okay. Oh, yeah, they didn't care. It was just the, they were like, you've got two, and I was like, yeah. 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 What about now you've met, you visited a few different countries. Do you have a favourite country that you've visited so far? Italy by far. It's the number one place we had our World University Games in Naples. And I had my 18th birthday over there on team. And we went to Capri on our last night. And the, the Amalfi Coast is just so beautiful. And it's the number one place that I definitely would love to go back to anytime. Yeah, very nice. I cannot agree with you more there. Uh, what about your biggest influence? Could be anything, could be anyone. Um, my grandma is definitely a big influence um, for me as well as my parents, but specifically my grandma at the moment as well because she was a nurse and a midwife and that's what I'm studying to be and that's kind of the career path I want to take. So hearing her stories and she was always someone that didn't let people tell her what to do. She always, you know, went her own path and made sure that she 
got what she wanted and she was a good person through that. So, yeah, she's definitely a big influence. How good are grandmas like that? Um, my, my nan is very much the same. I learnt from her that nobody tells me what to do, which is good and bad because it gets me yes. in trouble at work, let's be honest. Um, but yeah. to, I'll, I'll tell you this very quick story about on her because she doesn't listen to the podcast, so that's okay. I won't get in trouble. So um, her and my pop were married for many, many years, many, many years. They were in their mid-60s. And anyway, he was forever buying just random things and bringing them home. And anyway, he wanted to buy this combi van. And she said, listen, you're not buying a combi van. I'm putting my foot down. You're not doing it. And he said, well, I'm going to buy a combi van. She said, listen, I'll tell you, if that combi van comes in the driveway, I'm out the door. And he said, okay, that's fine. So anyway, Chelsea, this combi van mm-hmm. did get brought in the driveway and my nan divorced him very quickly. And she spent, she's, she's now happily mm-hmm. just living her life and, um, she's yeah. in her late seventies now, no and I always respected that because I was like, "Yep, yeah, <clears throat> that's it. No one tells her what to do." And she put a foot down, and yeah, God bless she her. Stuck to her word. <laughs> that's it. The combi van. Who would have thought that was the straw that yeah. breaks the camel's back? It was a good I car know. too. I thought it was a decent looking yeah. car, but anyway, grandparents. <laughs> eh? Um, I always yeah. thought that was a hilarious story. <laughs> um, now, before we we move on, mate, do you have any goals you've got your eyes on? next you know this is obviously sometimes a um a tricky question because some athletes don't want to put it all out there and go oh i want to you know compete here or i want to do this some people are happy to do it do you have goals set up in the next two or three years or are you kind of just taking it you know one step at a time at the moment um definitely have lots of goals and but i'm a very goal oriented person so i need something to work towards so um, Paris is definitely the big picture goal. Um, it's not where I'm going to end my swimming career as of yet, but it's definitely the next pinnacle part in my career. And I definitely want to improve my performances there. And definitely I know I've got a lot of unfinished business at the Olympics and I definitely want to strive for that gold at Paris. And then leading into that Com Games this year, yeah, Com Games this year, definitely looking into the 50 and you know just trying to get under that 30 seconds is definitely something that i've got coming up yeah very nice now i'm gonna let you go before this party or whatever's happening next to you in the park that takes <laughs> takes over. Yeah, all the school kids have just come <laughs> <laughs> school's out uh look out so yeah no thank you very much mate for taking the time to come on and uh, this afternoon, I know you, you're busy, you're training and you've got your different appointments and you've got your eye on the prize, no doubt. Good luck uh, at trials in May um, and, and all the best with, with the run into, you know, uh, world champs and com games and firstly booking your ticket and get back on there. But after what I saw uh, at Sydney, mate, I think you're well on your way. Uh, so congratulations with the success that you had. Um, and, and your first Olympic team. Uh, I thought you absolutely smashed it, as I've already said before here anyway. And, um, yeah, thank you for coming on Off The Block Swing Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Today's episode of Off The Block Swing Podcast is proudly brought to you by Pro Swim Workouts.